Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Um, today, I will be bringing you an interview podcast with my very good friend, Sam Baker. And she is a friend that I actually met in high school. And we reconnected when we both were living in LA. And now we're reconnecting here on the podcast. And we're talking about her experience um, with her two daughters. She has a three-year-old and a daughter that has two ages, um, 17 and a half months and 14 and a half months. Um, you'll learn more about that in the episode. So just in, uh, to be respectful of everybody's experience, we do talk about um, miscarriage and preterm birth in this episode. So if that's something that maybe would bring up too much of an emotional experience for you that you're not really wanting to get into right now, uh, maybe just skip this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Sam. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am here today with an old friend, Sam Baker, and she is a mama to a three-year-old daughter and a 17-and-a-half-month-old actual and 14-month-old adjusted, and well, you'll understand what that means in a little bit while we, uh, after we chat about Sam's story and her experience. So welcome, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so we'll start out with your uh, experience of menstruation, how old you were when you first got your period, if there's anything of note, if you had like irregular periods or a lot of pain or any sort of issues there, or was it pretty straightforward? Mine was pretty awful. I mean, I think I, I got my first one in seventh grade, but they were always like, 35 to 40 days apart they were never that nice like what is the normal 28 yeah I mean there's variability it normal it, the most important thing is that there's um regular ovulation happening mm -hmm. and um that they're they're pretty consistent so like if there's a woman that has a 35 day cycle for example 
and it's 35 days every single time, that would be better than if it's like 21, 35, 24, you know, like if there's a lot of like uh, shifts and changes between the cycle length. Yeah. So yours was always pretty consistently on the longer side. Yeah. 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 And then, um, I mean, my cramps were always so bad that I would have to stay home. I couldn't get out of bed. At one point, my doctor put me on Oxy. I did it maybe for three cycles. It didn't like how it made me feel. So I stopped doing it and just dealt with it all. Um, and then they've always been super heavy. Like, I, I don't know. And you bleed for a long time too, many days or? Um, I would be heavy for like three or four days. And then I'd have like two days of light kind of spotting and then it would just disappear. So it would start off really bad. And then the end of it was tolerable, I guess, if that makes sense. And were, were you ever prescribed birth control? Yes. Um, I want to say I was 16 when I went on birth control. Um, and it helped put me on a shorter cycle, obviously, but the cramping was still there. Um, and I kind of wish I had known about PCOS when we were younger. Um, and not that I've actually been diagnosed as having it, but I can explain that a little bit later when we get into Olivia stuff. Um, but it's more recently been brought up to me as something. Were there any other um, treatment modalities that you used for the pain? No, I, a heating pad when I was home. Kind of yeah, trucked along and dealt with it for the most part. Yeah. yeah, and so it never really improved. It just kind of always was painful. Yeah, and it's still to, to this day. I still am in pain. My cramps are really bad. The other night we had to get up to deal with Quinn's feed because she gets the G tube in the morning, um, and I couldn't even get out of bed. I had to have Andrew do it. We're gonna have to talk about stuff off the air because <laughs> I have some things to recommend. But um, yeah, I guess we haven't really talked about. So Sam and I lived in California when I was in acupuncture school, but I think I was so busy at the time that maybe we didn't talk as much about periods. But now, ever since I've graduated, my passion project is working on gynecological issues. So. Um, yeah, we can talk more about the tricks I have oh, with my sleeve after. So um, I guess maybe since the, your period stuff hasn't really been resolved, I'm interested to hear about your fertility journey and if that might kind of, I mean, certainly I'm already thinking about some <laughs> things that uh, maybe would have made your fertility journey a little different, but I'm just curious to hear kind of how it mm -hmm. went. Um, so if you can talk about like when you were trying to conceive, so Olivia is your older daughter, yeah. she's three, um, when you were going for conception, um, did you conceive pretty quickly or did you have any issues getting pregnant? Um, so before Olivia, we, there was one point where we weren't trying to get pregnant. We got pregnant and I ended up miscarrying at only like eight weeks, but 
still it's hard. Um, and then I got pregnant in March of 2016. And I got again, eight weeks miscarried. Um, talked to my doctor and he was really supportive. I honestly love my OB, love the entire office. Um, but with insurance, you have to basically suffer a miscarriage, try for nine months, and then they start going into all of the like fertility treatments that you can start. So we tried for another nine months. And then in December, we started Clomid, which is an oral pill. So we didn't do IUI, IVF. Um, and you're allowed to do it for three months before they'll bring you to the next step. We were lucky and we got pregnant during our third month of Clomid. And because you're using medication, you know exactly what day you got pregnant on. Olivia was conceived on Valentine's Day because I was taking medication. So they did they ever like test your hormone levels or talk to you about tracking your temperature or cervical mucus? Yes. In the OB office? Yeah. So that was something you were mm -hmm. doing? Yeah. And then did you know, um, you didn't find out anything from that? Like everything looked normal and all your hormone levels were normal and everything? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I was doing the, the strips, the um, not HC. OPKs, yeah, ovulation yeah, predictor. You. Kit strips, um, yeah. I was doing yeah. those. I was taking my temperature every day. I was tracking everything. We were trying to be super healthy. Um, I was trying to like work out, go for walks, take care of myself. And it was just, nothing was working. Um, we didn't do any blood work to see if it was something going on um, because that mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened until after we had finished the Clomid. Oh, okay. So then with the third cycle of Clomid, um, you did mm -hmm. conceive. And then how did that pregnancy go? Did you have any symptoms or was it pretty comfortable? I'm guessing it was awful. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, I was nauseous every day. I was trying all the tricks that everybody told me. Um, Eat saltines when you get up in the morning, drink plenty of water, make sure you're eating this, make sure you're doing that. Maybe you have low iron, take some iron pills. And I just, I had days where I would take the dogs outside and I was passing out in our front yard. Um, I gained 18 pounds the entire pregnancy because my food intake was so low from being nauseous. Um, and then we got to the end of the pregnancy and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for this to be over. I mean, I, I did not enjoy pregnancy and I feel awful saying that because everybody else loves it, but I just didn't. Everybody else does not love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I, mean, I think it's lying. No, I mean, I think that it's a lot more common that women feel pretty uncomfortable during pregnancy. Um, then is really talked about, which is part of the purpose of this podcast is for women to be more honest about their 
experience. Um, so it sounds to me like, like you were one of those women that was nauseous kind of like throughout the entire pregnancy, not just in the first yeah. trimester. Yeah. yeah. Every day, all day, I had to stop going to work. I mean, I was only working at a boutique and it wasn't very difficult, but I had to stop going to work because I would drive to work and I would have these periods of time where I would forget I was driving mm. because I was just so nauseous and so, I guess, kind of out of body. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and a lot of fatigue too, or. Yeah. I was exhausted all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we would still do stuff, but um, I remember that summer we had, I want to say eight weddings that we were invited to wow. and we made it to two. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Yeah, eight is too many. <laughs> <laughs> eight is too many um, in general, but yeah. But um, okay, so then um when was she born? How many weeks were you when she was born? Um, I was 39 weeks, three days. So I was actually induced with Olivia. Mm. Um I was so miserable, so uncomfortable, and my doctor was pretty much just I was three centimeters dilated and I was making very slow progress, but progress. Um, and he was like, there's no room for her to grow. She's pretty much as big as she is going to get. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be induced? And I said, yes, I, I need this to be over. I need to not feel nauseous all the time. I'm hoping that once she's here, maybe I'll start feeling better. Um, so my due date was November 19th and I was induced November 15th. Uh, they gave me Pitocin at eight o'clock in the morning and Olivia was here at 11 o'clock. So three hours. Wow. Yeah. Really fast. And your body was ready. It sounds oh, yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. He said that if he didn't induce me, that I probably would have gone into labor that day or the next anyway. Yeah. Sounds um, like it. Yeah, and I, I pushed for like 20 minutes. That's amazing for a first yeah. time pregnancy. Wow. Oh. <laughs> that's really wild. I know. I, I love her like, that's not fair. Yeah. Well, mine was five and a half hours. And people say that to me that, I mean, it's just, and it did feel really fast to me. Like when yeah. you think about like women will have like day. two day long <laughs> labors. So yeah. That's awesome. Three days yeah. or three hours. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and did you have any complications or any issues with the birth or it felt pretty supported and um, she, it was easy. I mean, as easy as a birth can be. Yeah. She was a vaginal birth, no C-section, no complications, uh, six pounds, 13 ounces, perfect little nugget. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so then when you went home and you're in this new postpartum phase, is there anything you want to share about that? Like in terms of things that you set up with friends or family, like, did you get a lot of help or like from your partner um, or anything that you did to heal your body in particular? Um I don't know if you breastfed or not, but if there's anything you want to share about like that experience or deciding not to do that. Um, yeah. 
Um, we tried breastfeeding. I had a really difficult time with it. Um, Olivia has a pretty severe lip tie. And I mean, you don't think of these things. You don't even know they exist until you have a baby and you bring them to the doctor. Um, so we had some latching issues. I did not seek help for it. I started exclusively pumping. It was just easier for me. She was honestly an amazing baby. She would sleep from like 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And then she would take these amazing long naps during the day. So I could pump really easily because I didn't have to worry about her because she was sleeping. Um, I definitely had postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. I felt very alone. Um, and I, I have a problem asking for help. I won't do it. I feel like asking for help makes me a failure. So I just can't. Um, so I just kind of cried a lot. <laughs> was, your, was your husband around or did he go back to work pretty quickly? Um, I, I want to say he was home for a week. I can't remember if he did two with Olivia. Um, cause he did two with Quinn, but that was a little different. So I think it was just a week. Um, but when he was home, he was helpful. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I was just really overwhelmed. And I think not having my mom because she had passed away. I kind of felt lost, mm. like and maybe a little jealous, like of other people because their mom was there to help them and to even just come sit at their houses with them after they had kids. Um, and I just kind of, I didn't have that. So that added into the mixture of like me being super emotional. Yeah. Like right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, we, before we started recording, we were talking about how, like, you, you can't know what it's going to be like to have kids until after you have them. And it does sort of like break your heart open into feeling more than you've ever thought possible. Yeah. Um, and being a parent is, there's so much vulnerability in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, yeah. And I think especially those early days where you're feeling that and especially cause they're so tiny and, and so vulnerable themselves. You're just like, yeah. wow, I'm like the person that is solely responsible for this little yes. being. And I, and I, what uh, that? I used to joke and say like, who, who allowed me to do this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who thought it was okay to do this? I know. Yeah. And I mean, I think that pretty much most people <laughs> feel that way. And it's, it's yeah. interesting to also reflect on like being a child too. And like that your parents were experiencing that with you. It's just kind of like a little bit of a mind fuck to, yeah. to think about that, that they were, you know, it just puts things into perspective that they were really doing their best for, and like, for better or worse. But when you think about your parents, you think like, 
they had they had it all together like they had their shit together and now becoming a parent you're like they totally didn't there's no No. way yeah there's no way nope I think we're all just kind of figuring it out as we go yeah that's pretty much what it is and I mean I can also hugely relate to you on not wanting to ask for help I I don't know exactly what it's like in other cultures but I know in American culture it is kind of like you know, we really praise ourselves for being independent and being able to take care of everything. And especially for women, it's like, yeah, you can do everything, you know, take care of the house. Maybe you're also working and taking care of the kids and, you know, the husband just kind of like goes to work and that's his responsibility and that's kind of it. And I, I mean, obviously, my experience is limited just to the the people that I have around me. And I, I know that they're, that's not the situation for everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that I, I, I can relate to that too, of feeling like, like you really, you know that you need help, but you also really don't want to ask for it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you want to prove that you can do it, but yeah, there's no one that you're really proving it to besides yourself. Totally. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, then talk me through your, I mean, your period came back and, um, it, it sounds to me like it it was always just kind of went back right back into being painful. Yeah. And then maybe you can talk about your fertility journey in towards conceiving Quinn. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, once I, I only pumped for Olivia for three months. It was the point where she had started being a little bit more mobile. I mean, she took forever to start crawling, but like she was getting this little personality and I just felt like I was overwhelmed being attached to a wall constantly to pump. So we started doing formula with her. She's fine. She's healthy. She's fed. Um, But yeah, I want to say right after I stopped pumping is when I got my period back and it was just as bad as before. The cramps were awful. It was super heavy. It was that like weird, I would sometimes get it at like 30 days, sometimes at 38 days, anywhere in between. So it was consistent in being kind of inconsistent. And I was just still back to the whole heating pad. Andrew would realize that like I was just in pain and he would get the heating pad for me and I would have to sit on the couch with the heating pad on my stomach. And that was the only thing that kind of relieved it. And then um, you started trying to get pregnant again, like how long after Olivia was born? Um, She, right when she, turned one we kind of decided that we wanted them to be close in age um so Olivia turned one in November of 2018 right yeah and uh we started trying pretty much then um my sister and I are a year and nine months apart and I love our relationship I love my sister um and I wanted my kids to be somewhat close in age. So nothing December, nothing January. We found out we were pregnant in February. 
Um, we made it to, I think that one was 11 weeks. And then I miscarried. Um, my doctor told me the, the same thing they tell you, you wait the, what is it? Four to six weeks before trying again or whatever it was, um, maybe 30 days. I'm probably mixing things up because my brain is a pile of mush. <laughs> um, so we waited, started trying again. And then we found out Memorial Day of 2019 that we were pregnant again. Uh, got to six weeks, miscarried. So the it was the middle of June, we miscarried again. Um, went to my doctor's office and I cried. I sat in the office crying. Uh, they came in, they hugged me. They told me how sorry they felt for me. Um, they just, they tried to find all the words to make me feel better, but not, not condescending at all. Like they really care. I seriously cannot say enough. I love my doctor's office. Um, so we started doing blood work to see if I had any blood clotting disorders. Um, I went to Quest and one of my blood draws was 16 vials of blood. Uh, I felt like I was going to pass out <laughs> and the lady's like, you just sit there. I'll get you some water and a juice. Don't move. Um, but yeah, so then they told me again to wait the 30 days. Um, we weren't tracking at this point. Uh, and then we ended up getting pregnant in July. So we found out in August that we were pregnant with Quinn. Um, and Quinn's pregnancy was, there was something wrong. I knew. Did you, sorry, just to rewind. So with the 16 vials of blood, what were they testing for? Just blood clotting stuff? Or was it like all of your hormone levels, thyroid, or do you remember? I can tell you. Um, they tested me for lupus positive antibodies, factor three, factor five, beta glucose, protein, um, the MTHFR gene mutation, and then any other general gene mutations. Um, and then when, actually when I was pregnant with Olivia, we did one of the genetic screenings and found out that I carry fragile X. Um, Andrew does not. So not that it would be passed on to any of the girls, but we were told that if I had a boy, he would have it. So sometimes I kind of wonder if my body was like, this baby is sick, we need to fight against it, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, from what I understand, particularly with early miscarriages, which would be like in the first trimester losses, um, there's usually a chromosomal abnormality, which doesn't make it like any less painful, No, you know? Um, but yeah, so you think that maybe those were boys and they were carrying that gene and yeah, in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which honestly kind of makes the most sense. And I might just be saying it to make myself feel better about it. I don't know, but it's very possible. Yeah, definitely. So in, in all of that blood work, did they find anything? No. 
no. Okay. Yeah. So it was just kind of testing to see if there was anything going on. Um, and then did you do Clomid again to conceive Quinn or, or you did that without medication? Without medication. Um, so we would have had to have the miscarriage try for nine months without getting pregnant again. And then we would have started Clomid again. Okay. But you conceived prior to that. Yeah. So we had the February one and then we were supposed to try for nine months for them to start as on Clomid again, but we got pregnant four months later. And then Quinn was like six weeks after the second miscarriage. So I was pregnant three times in one year. Wow. Um, and then with Quinn, I noticed that I was spotting more often and I would call my doctor's office and they, they had me go in, they would check, they would do the ultrasounds to make sure there was no rupture in anything. And they never found anything. Um, and then Olivia was going to music classes and she was still so little that I was having to pick her up and put her in her car seat. And my doctor was finally like, you've got to stop. You can't pick her up like that anymore. I don't want you traveling around with her. I want you on, it wasn't bed rest, but he wanted me to be careful. So like if we went to like a family thing, which we had a few of them, I wasn't supposed to be picking Olivia up. I wasn't supposed to be chasing her around the house. Um, Just being a little more cautious with my pregnancy with Quinn, which we now know was necessary. So um, how did Olivia deal with that? Did she seem to understand that you couldn't? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. she was like climbing on me and jumping up and down. I mean, she wasn't even two yet. No. So they're still like figuring things out. And she was so used to me bringing her places and playing with her um, and chasing her around the house that she was kind of thrown off. She wasn't upset, but um, she actually ended up going into a sleep regression. Mm. And I don't know if the two, I don't know if it is, it happened because her life was kind of changing or if it was just like a normal, she was 20 months old and like a 20 month old goes through a sleep regression, like four month old does, but. Oh, I didn't know that. I have that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Yay. There's there's a bunch of sleep regressions. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like every time I turn around, it's like, oh, there's a this month sleep regression. <laughs> yeah. Those are but, fun. Yeah. yeah. She was like refusing to nap. And the only way I could get her to nap was on me mm-hmm. on the couch. She wouldn't go to her bed. Um, and then before this little sleep regression happened, she was actually marching herself down the hallway to her bed. She was so good. She would grab, yeah, oh, she would grab her blanket, grab her binky, march her little butt down the hallway, get in her bed and say, night night, mommy. She was so good about it. And then all of a sudden it was like this, her world was flipped upside down and she was like, no, I'm not going to bed. (laughs) So, I mean, we had to I mean that, yeah, that must've been hard for her, but yeah, you had to obviously do what you needed to do. Um, so what, did they find anything in particular that was causing the pregnant to the spotting to happen more frequently or whatever other symptoms you were having? 
No, I mean, they were just, sometimes it happens. Some people get their period their entire pregnancy. Yeah, I've um, heard that. That's, that is so bizarre to me. Yeah. Oh, God. That, that, sometimes I think that's like a little bit of the perk of being pregnant is not getting your period, even though <laughs> yeah. being pregnant isn't always fun. But getting your period and being pregnant, no, thank you. Double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> no but, good. Yeah. No, they didn't find anything. So, I mean, oh, my computer's being weird. I'm sorry. There. Okay. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. Because you would think that they, they would find some thing off. Also, that would maybe be the reason to, for that to be happening, but it sounds like no. But then I know at a certain point, um, you did have to go on bed rest in the hospital, right? Yeah. So, so how far along were you when, when that happened? My child is calling me on FaceTime from the other room. Um, so I was 20 weeks. It was December 16th. I thought I was peeing my pants because once you've had a baby and when you're pregnant, it is possible. Um, I didn't think anything of it because honestly, I've never really known anybody that's water has broken early. There's one person that we went to high school with that it happened to, but it's kind of like one of those things that it's never gonna happen to me. And it did. Um, so that was a Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, I just kind of kept dealing with it. And then Monday I was like, all right, something's gotta be wrong. I talked to a few friends and they go, it, it's possible that you have a UTI. Cause if you have UTI while you're pregnant, you will also pee your pants. So I called my doctor's office and said, I have a UTI. And they were like, no, you need to come in. We need to examine you. I didn't have anybody to babysit Olivia. So Andrew had to come home from work. I left the house, got to my doctor's office. My doctor gave me an exam and he's like, everything looks fine. We're gonna do an ultrasound. And in the ultrasound, they found that there was pretty much no amniotic fluid around Quinn. Um, and I'm gonna cry again. <laughs> so they put me back into the exam room did some swabs and they tested positive for amniotic fluid. And my doctor basically said, I had to go to the hospital right then and there. I called Andrew, they offered to get an ambulance and I've never been in an ambulance in my entire life. And I, I was so overwhelmed by the fact that I had lost all my waters that I didn't want the ambulance and it was just too much for me to handle. It was like a system overload. So Andrew got a babysitter for Olivia, came and got me, brought me to Waterbury Hospital. I was checked into Waterbury Hospital that same day. They put me on immediate bed rest. I wasn't allowed to get up to go to the bathroom. I wasn't allowed to get up to shower. Um, I Nobody could bring me food or anything. Like I could only eat what they would allow me to eat for the most part. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, doctors from maternal fetal 
medicine were supposed to come and check me out. I think it was Wednesday, maybe it was Thursday, but there ended up being a huge snowstorm. And because they're in New Haven, they couldn't make it to Waterbury. And then they were going to come the next day, but they were already so booked up that they couldn't. They ended up coming on Friday. They did my exam and they said that because she was viable, that they were going to transfer me to Yale. So that Friday, I was transferred to Yale for my first ever ambulance ride. And it was the scariest thing ever. Um, and then I was at Yale from December 23rd. No, it was earlier than that. My date, I don't remember my dates. Um, but I was hospitalized for a total of 35 days. So Yale was a little bit more lenient because they have the ability to take care of Quinn if she came at 21 weeks which I was exactly 21 weeks when they took me. Um, so I was allowed to get up to use the bathroom. I didn't have to call a nurse to come in and bring me a bedpan. I mean, that was, I was so uncomfortable at Waterbury and it had nothing to do with the staff. It was just, I had to rely on somebody else for me to go to the bathroom. And what happens if they're all busy? Well then I'm stuck sitting in a bed and I have to pee. And then I would sit there and like lotion my legs so I could shave them because I can't go a day without doing that. But um, yeah, Yale, I was allowed to, there was a shower in my room. I was allowed to get up and shower and use the bathroom. I was allowed to walk down the hallway to get water. Um, I was allowed to have visitors. So were you, did the amniotic fluid, like, did your body produce more after, because all of it was gone or is that yeah. not what happens? So you're, you continuously produce amniotic fluid, whatever you're drinking, the baby is drinking and amniotic fluid is the baby's urine. So the baby is, as long as the baby is continuing to pee you are continuing to make amniotic fluid. I can't believe I never knew that until this moment. Is it? <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> Maybe it's like common knowledge, but I, it's not for me. No, not, I didn't know that either. And my sister, my doctor told my sister that and she's like, what? <laughs> it's baby pee. <laughs> Basically it's the baby's pee. So the amniotic fluid is what helps the baby's um, lungs to grow. And it helps the, uh, all of the fibers in their lungs to like expand and contract how they breathe. Um, so, I mean, that the amniotic fluid is possibly one of the most important parts of your pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when, um, women are induced near the end of the pregnancy, they're part of it is because the amniotic fluid is less yeah. at that point and they they're really concerned about it being too low yeah so yeah that's really interesting so um maybe you can walk us through sort of when she was born did you did you go into labor or what exactly 
happened? And then how long were you in the hospital? And then how long was she there after that? Um, so I would randomly bleed. So I would have to have exams, but they couldn't take me out of my room. So they would boost up my pelvis on an upside down bedpan and do my exams in my room. And that like my, my cervix was always closed. It was just the fluid constantly leaking. Um, and I was having blood work done like every three days so that they could make sure that they had the right um, blood type on file and make sure that there weren't any infections, um, which I ended up getting an infection. And that is what made me go into labor and actually have Quinn the day I had her. Um, so how did you, how did you get the infection? It's just from the bag being open. Oh, interesting. And uh, what type of infection is it? A blood infection. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was only in my, um, placenta. It was not, it hadn't made its way into my actual bloodstream. Um, so White blood cell count normal is 4,000 to 10,000. So on January, I think it was the 4th or the 7th, they did my blood work and I was at 14,000. And then the day that Quinn was born, I was up to 17,000. So my, your body tries to fight off an infection. It forced me into labor. Um, Andrew and Olivia were visiting and I, I didn't, want to believe that I was having contractions because they weren't bad. Um, like with Olivia, I didn't get an epidural until I was nine centimeters dilated. So I, I knew what contractions felt like. Um, and these ones, they weren't bad. So i had had them the week before. I thought they were going to go away. They didn't. So he and Olivia left, went home. I text him at like seven 30 and I was like, something's, something's happening. I'm having more contractions. They're getting closer together. They're getting heavier. And they weren't picking them up on the monitor. They don't know why, um, but they just weren't. So around 9.30, um, all of a sudden, my, so I have PTSD, and this is one of my triggers. Um, all of a sudden my room filled with doctors and nurses and the nurses, they were being so sweet. They said, we understand that this is overwhelming, but we don't want you to be overwhelmed. Your room is going to start filling with people and we are gonna take you out of here. So I'm in my room and they start taking my clothing off of me because they know that they have to deliver her. Um, her heart had stopped beating for four minutes. They couldn't find her on the monitor. Um, I remember they let me leave my bra on. Uh, they cut my sweater off of my arm because it was stuck because of all of the wires. Um, and then they wheeled me down the hallway <laughs> naked <laughs> into the OR and I could feel them touching me and cleaning my stomach so they could prep for an emergency C-section. 
and I had the anesthesiologist behind me and he's like, her blood pressure's low. I need it to go up. Her blood pressure's low. I can't administer anything until it goes up. And I, I said to him, like, my blood pressure is always low. I can feel everything. Can you just put me out? Um, and then finally, one of the nurses spoke up and she was like, her blood pressure is always low. She's telling you the truth. Just do it. And all of this activity and feeling all of these really heavy contractions and then putting like the, the scary tape stuff on my stomach. And all of a sudden I just stopped. I just went limp. Um, they knocked me out. And all I could think is I can die on this table. My baby can die before I'll even meet her. Um, it was one of the scariest days of my entire life. And Andrew found a babysitter, he got there. I didn't see him at all. He got there after they had already done the C-section and it was a classical C-section. So it was horizontal on my stomach, but vertical on my uterus. Um, which takes longer to heal from than a completely horizontal C-section would. Um, I remember one of the doctors coming in at like three o'clock in the morning and trying to talk to me. And I was still out of it and so exhausted that I don't even remember what he really said to me. Like, it was kind of like a just checking on you to see how you're feeling, your baby's okay. But I wasn't coherent enough to understand what was going on. Um, and then my dad and stepmom were there at some point. I remember seeing them and talking to them, but I couldn't tell you what time of day it was. Um, they wheeled me up to the NICU to see Quinn and I tried to stand and I collapsed back into the wheelchair and I just didn't, I like couldn't understand what was going on. I was in such a, like a haze that I like wasn't connecting that that was my baby. Um, and I, I don't know if part of it was like, I did, I was trying to not be attached to her. Um, and then they like brought me back down to my room the next day, so that was on a Friday. The next day was Saturday. The One of the nurses walked with me up because you have to walk after you have a baby. <laughs> Let's rip open your stomach and make you walk. Um, Wait, why? They really did make you walk? Yeah. And yep. did they say why? Uh, so the faster you start walking and moving, um, it helps your body to realize that I guess it has to start healing. Um, and then there's Is this true with just, a, just with a C-section or with the Interesting, because my midwives gave me the complete opposite. They were like, don't move, like put your feet up for two weeks. <laughs> so, you would think that. Yeah, that's, I've never heard that before. That's really interesting. I mean, I was like, wait, can't I rest? Like, can't you wheel me up in the wheelchair? I'm exhausted. Like I was just, completely traumatized can I sit and they're like you really need to walk it was the same thing when I had Olivia 
the epidural was so strong that I couldn't walk after I had her. And they're like, no, you need to move from labor and go to delivery. And I'm like, I can't move. (laughs) I don't know how you want me to walk. Yeah, that is so bizarre to me. I mean, especially with the situation that of Quinn, like how much trauma and I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't even imagine it sounds. And and then, um, yeah, did they tell you why they needed to do the horizontal and vertical? Was there like a specific reason Uh, for that or? So they could have done vertical all the way from outer abdomen through all of the layers of everything that they have to cut through. Um, the doing it horizontal, I was told that it was more so because it's a preference. Um, the vertical was because it's easier to get into your uterus to find into your like stomach to find the baby basically. And Quinn liked to hang out really, really low in my pelvis. Um, she was never like a baby that would like go up towards my belly button. It was always low. Like anytime they had the monitor on me and I would have a new nurse, um, they would put it near my belly button. And I'm like, you're not going to find her there. You've got to go like way down. So they would have me position it because I knew where she was all the time. So, and then how long did they keep you in the hospital? Um, I had her Friday. I was discharged on Monday. Wow. That passed. Yeah. They, so they would have discharged me on Sunday. I requested to stay until Monday because I wasn't ready to leave. Yeah. Well, and then she stayed there in the NICU for quite some time for seven, seven and a half months. Yeah. Seven and a half months. Um, we counted at home and we counted it to 225 days. Um, Somebody at the hospital said it was 223, but either way, I traveling from Southbury to New Haven um, and we were, she was born Mm pre-COVID. So we were allowed to have two parents there at the same time. We were allowed to uh, be maskless near her. We were allowed to stay there all day if we wanted to. Um, And then COVID hit two months into her being there and it was, there were no visitors allowed in the hospital at all, except for the NICU. Um, But we had to alternate days. So I would do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Andrew would do Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then we would both take Sunday off because we do still have a three-year-old and she still needed some sort of normalcy in her life. Um, and then the next week we would be opposite. So I would be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. He would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and still Sunday off for Olivia. Um, the NICU staff was amazing. And honestly, all the doctors and nurses that we have been in contact with that have spent five minutes with us. They've all been fabulous. Um, We had one doctor in the NICU that we weren't a huge fan of. Um, He really pushed to give Quinn a tracheotomy. And it wasn't sitting very well with me. Um, 
and thank God we had her primary nurses and this one specific doctor because they all believed that Quinn could breathe on her own. And it would just take time. Quinn does things in her own time. She does them when she wants to, how she wants to, that's fine. Um, she, we were supposed to go in to have a meeting when she was like five months old um, about the trach and she extubated herself the night before. So she ripped her breathing tube out of her throat. Um, and the doctor that we are in love with, she basically took that as Quinn saying, I'm not doing this. You're not gonna make me. I'm gonna prove to you I can breathe on my own. So she came home on oxygen and now thankfully she is no longer on oxygen. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've been following <clears throat> your journey on social media, mostly. Um, and, and so where is she at now? Like, is she, I mean, does she still have any like things that are different than what a normal baby would need? I don't, I didn't mean to say no, You know I what I mean? Hey, um, She's not normal. <laughs> it's fine. She's not yeah. normal. She's a baby. She is making amazing progress, but she's not normal. We don't know if she will be. I mean, she may have learning disabilities from all of this. She, we don't know. Um, but so she has a gene for ciliary dyskinesia, which has to do with the ciliary fibers in your lungs. Um, so it, she has breathing problems still, and she will probably always have them. Um, she has bronchopneumonary dysplasia. She, she has some heart issues that she's gotten over. Like she's been, she came home on six medications. Um, mm. and we've slowly phased most of them out. She is down to, um, getting a nebulizer treatment once in the morning and once at night with just budesonide, which is common for asthmatics. Um, mm -hmm. she, we just had some blood work done and her phosphorus levels aren't doing so great. So we think she's going to have to go back on one of her medications um, it's called Fosnac and it helps her to, um, not go into kidney failure. So, wow. yeah, I mean, like my one-year-old can go into kidney failure. That's always so wild to me to think about. Um, and then she was completely weaned off of her oxygen, uh, like March, April. So she was having assistance with breathing for a little over a year. Uh, she's, she has a G-tube. So she was getting all of her feeds via G-tube, um, nothing oral until we started working with uh, a speech therapist. Um, the G-tube is not my favorite thing. It's real scary. She has ripped the entire thing out of her belly. Um, but her schedule now is she gets a G-tube feed at six o'clock in the morning. 
It's 150 milliliters at a rate of 120 milliliters an hour. So she takes about an hour and 15 minutes for that to finish. Um, and we have started feeding her by mouth. So she's supposed to get a G-tube feed at 11 o'clock and 3.30. We have been putting the formula into a, um, a Nook click cup and she's been doing really well with it. Uh, the past few days, she's been taking about 135 milliliters by mouth. And she has a severe oral aversion from being intubated for mm. like four and a half, five months of her life. And if yeah. you had something in your mouth for that long and people constantly touching you and moving things, you wouldn't want anything in your mouth. Um, she has some days where Especially because nobody can explain to her, like, this is for this reason, you know, it'd be really annoying yeah. for anybody, but especially if you can't even understand why. Yeah, yeah no, know. she, I can't explain to her why any of the things that she has happened to her happened to her. And, um, I mean, I've met a ton of parents who have kids that are like eight years old and they're just getting a G-tube. And it's because they're having issues with weight gain or they have an oral aversion, but it's, it's something recent that just started. Um, but she's slowly getting better. She has been taking some foods by mouth. We've gotten her to eat some cheese. <laughs> she really likes cheese. Um, Who does? <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh. um, she does not like meat. She'll take it, move it around in her mouth, suck all the flavor off of it, and then move it to the front of her mouth behind her front teeth and try to like push it out. Um, but she's taking like the pureed pouches like a champ. Um, oh, and then she gets another feed at eight o'clock at night and it's almost two hours long. It's still 150 milliliters, but it's, 80 milliliters per hour to try and kind of last and keep her full all night so she stays asleep. Um, but this schedule is way better than it was. We are just starting to get sleep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I talk about with mothers on the podcast is like, especially for first time moms, the transition from, you know, not being a mom to then you're in this role and how that sort of shifts and changes your life. Mm -hmm. But then especially um, going from having one to going to two, which my sister just had her second daughter. And I'm just like, I don't understand how people have more than one child. Yeah. And then not only do you have two children, but you also have this um, little lovely soul that requires a lot of additional um, care too. Yeah. Um, so maybe talk about that. Like, what has that been like for you? Um, emotionally, are you feeling a little bit more able to ask for help because of, um, how much is sort of being asked of you or? Uh-uh. I can't no. do it. No. I mean, I, I like had a kind of a breakdown to my sister the other day about like my PTSD and, how overwhelmed I am with Quinn, but like my sister has her own two children and she works for like our family business. So she's busy. 
And it's hard because I don't know a lot of stay-at-home moms that live close by that I can be like, hey, can you come over? Because I can't do this today. I mean, so Quinn, Quinn was born in January. She came home in August. So we're coming up on a year of her being home. And when she came home, she was on oxygen. She had her G-tube and she had a pulse oximeter, which tells you um, like how well she's breathing, what percentage of oxygen is going through like her red blood cells and stuff like that. Um, and how much she's breathing on her own. So uh, all of September, October, November, December, January, February, March, she was on oxygen pretty much 24 seven. And this pulse ox, if Quinn decides to not breathe for a second, it sounds an alarm. And if she starts breathing, the alarm shuts off. But there were times that this, it wraps around her foot and there is basically a light that transmit from, transmits from the top of the foot to the bottom of the foot. So you have to position this sticker perfectly. And if you don't, you get alarms all night long. I mean, we had a couple nights where we lost power from storms and her big oxygenator is plugged into the wall. I mean, it's taking room air and putting it through this tubing for her. I, we have the, um, the portable tanks, but they only last so long, um, especially when they're on a higher rate of oxygen being delivered. So when she came home, she was on one liter of oxygen. And these, we had some tanks that were like four liter tanks. They only last four hours. And then when she got lower and lower, they started lasting longer. But of course it was when she was on the highest flow that we would lose power. Um, and then another alarm that we have to listen to all the time is the feeding pump. So we had to learn how to program this thing. And we have to put the bag on and off of it, fill it with formula to a certain amount. She has to have an exact amount of calories per ounce. Um, but Quinn likes to lay like a folded piece of paper. So if you were to sit down on the floor with your legs straight out in front of you and just fold at your, your hips, that is how Quinn sleeps. <laughs> she does not lay on her back. She does not lay on her stomach or her side. She is folded in half. And what does that do? It crimps the line for the feeding tube. So now this thing is backed up and we get these alarms that are saying that the, the line is blocked. And it's not something where like, if she were to decide to move, it would stop. It goes and goes and goes until you go to the machine and you have to reset it, which, is fine, but when she sleeps like that all the time, it's going off like every hour at night when she was doing a full night feed. So we weren't sleeping. I was pretty delirious every single day. Yeah, does she sleep in your room still? No, um, she has actually been in her crib since we brought her home. Um, she- But in this, in it, like she has her own separate room? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She came home at four months adjusted. So like with a full-term baby, most of the time they'll go into their own room 
around three or so months if the parents feel so inclined. Um, so four months adjusted, seven and a half months actual, and she was in a room. Um, so we have to get out of bed, go down the hallway, pray that it's not waking Olivia up, which thank God it never did. Never. She slept through every single one of the alarms. Um, and then like reset this machine in that like parent deprived sleep stupor. But we didn't really have the choice to have that stupor because it's our baby's health. And did you and Andrew kind of like switch off who was doing what or did most of it go to you no he's he has been amazing about it we try really hard to switch off um I am unfortunately somebody who sleeps very heavy <laughs> so if I don't have the monitor on my side of the bed I pretty much don't wake up for it unless it unless he sleeps through it and it keeps incessantly going then I'll wake up because I'm annoyed <laughs> But um, now he's middle of the night. He works full time outside for a town. So he's doing a bunch of heavy physical labor every day. Um, and he is still so very helpful when he is home. We have moments where we fight about stuff with Quinn and like one of us just doesn't want to try and do something. So the other one does it. But I mean, even her bedtime routine is kind of, it's a little bit more tedious than a full-term baby because we have to hook her up to the G-tube, we have to do her nebulizer treatment. And it's not that it's hard, it's just those little extra steps that you're like, oh, okay, let's get this done. So. I mean, I think there's a lot of things with um, babies that it is, it's, it's not like actually difficult, but it's just kind of like, <laughs> And then it's also like, in addition to doing all of the other tasks that are required of you, you know, that it, it does kind of become overwhelming. And then, yeah, with all of these additional things that you guys are having to tend to, but that's awesome that he is, um, yeah, a big part of it too, because that's not always the case. So that's, I mean, that's and awesome. we've had the talk. He's a parent. You're, you're, you're yeah, you're a dad. You're not exactly. a babysitter. I know, my God. Oh, so yeah. Andrew took her today. He's babysitting her. I'm like, he's her father. Like, that's not how this yeah. works. You're a parent. And then some yeah. people are like, well, he works all day. You think he wants to come home and do more stuff? I'm like, I work all day too. It's, it's, completely different, but I work all day. But yours is 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Your job's 24 yeah. hours. I mean, thankfully, um, the, the time that he's not at work, it's kind of like we try to split it, but it's just, it's so much. It really is. And honestly, yeah. there are families that have it way harder than us. There, I, I, I always do this. Like I, my life is hard. It is. I have a really difficult time not having my mom. I, and I like, people tell me that I need to get over it and you never stop grieving. The, the grief is always there. Um, I have grief about my pregnancy journey. I mean, that was taken away from me. This is, nobody wants this. Nobody, 
wants to have a baby early. I mean, I, I watched my kid flatline. Um, mm -hmm. She sucked her tube in too hard and her lungs started collapsing and her heart, her heart rate started slowing down. I, I just, but there are, there are families that have it worse than us. And I feel terrible for them. Um, there was a mother next to us because of COVID, we weren't allowed to do any of like the meet and greet stuff anymore. They used to do like uh, NICU family dinners in the waiting room and um, parent meetups. It, it was always these very sweet, thoughtful things um, that previous NICU parents put together. It was never done by the hospital and it was like, it was always free to attend and they took their time out of their day to put these things together. Um, but because of COVID, we didn't really talk to anybody. Um, the family next to us, the baby was about the same gestation, but they were there for months longer than us. Um, there were a couple of other families that the babies ended up with, with trachs and you cannot bring your baby home with a trach without nursing care. And because of COVID, the nurses were everywhere else but being able to do in-home. I mean, they got dragged back to the hospitals, they got dragged to nursing homes, wherever. I mean, there were parents that I shared things on my Facebook page for them. They had been there for a year and they were just trying to find anybody that was certified to help them take care of their kid at home. And I just, it's like you, don't realize how big the NICU is until you're in it. And when we were there at one point, there were over 70 babies. Like that, that's how many people were having babies early in the beginning of 2020, within a few months. Yeah, I mean, that's so wild because I don't, I don't think I personally, know anybody I mean obviously I know you but um for there to be that many people and and you know it's also possible that there are people that that's happened to and I just don't know about it because I I feel like what's been it's been really cool to see you share about your journey because I feel even with having losses and things like that it's um happens more frequently, I think, than we realize because a lot of people aren't talking about it. And obviously, like there, or I hope this is obvious, there's no requirement for people to share something that they don't feel comfortable with. But I do think it helps when there's people like you that do share about it. It helps them to feel a little bit more like, oh, this is, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I feel like people can find some comfort in that and knowing that they're not alone. Yeah. I, even in like a really shitty experience. Yeah. You know? I sometimes I'm afraid I share too much. And sometimes I feel like I might not share enough for somebody who is in our situation or something similar. Um, I know there are people out there that look at my feed for Facebook and Instagram and they're like, oh, why are you sharing this stuff again? But when we were in the thick of the NICU, I found other NICU parents on Instagram and I reached out to them and they were so helpful and so thoughtful. And I don't want people to feel like they're alone. 
Mm -hmm. Um, It might be because I feel alone a lot, which is a lot of just, it's me being insecure um, and having the issue of asking for help. Um, But I just, I want people that need to talk to somebody to want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the things that helped me the most with Quinn. Um, And I mean, I have people that reach out to me and they're like, my situation isn't as bad as yours. I'm like, I don't care. Your situation's your situation. And if you wanna cry to me every single day this week about what, I don't know, my kids throwing up their food, go for it. Mm -hmm. I'm totally here and I am also one of those people that unfortunately like if you're going through something I will tell you like if I had a scenario that was similar to it and it's my way of like empathizing with people um and I've been trying to be better about saying I can empathize your situation instead of being like oh yeah well Quinn did this but I, I, I feel like when people do it to me, I take it as they're, they're trying to tell me like, this is how I'm relating to your situation, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah, I think that, yeah, hearing about other people's experiences can really help to, I don't know, just sort of learn a little bit better how to navigate your own. Um, and that's what I was thinking when you were saying, um, you know, there's people that had it a lot worse than me or like were there a lot longer. I was just kind of like, it's also relative, you know, because I, I mean, there, I do feel really lucky about how my, my pregnancy and even like fertility and everything has been. Um, but I also still really have, I still also have hard days, you know, mm-hmm. where I'm just kind of like, oh my God, what, am I supposed to do here? And I, um, feel overwhelmed and, you know, don't want to ask for help. And and then I do think sometimes about like, oh, there's people that would like give everything to have what I have, but it doesn't mm-hmm. invalidate the fact that I'm having a hard time, even though I'm also really lucky, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think it's, um, yeah, it's just helpful to keep these conversations open and, there's always going to be haters too, you know, of people that don't want you to share or think that you're sharing in the wrong way or, um, whatever. And I struggle with that too, but I think, um, whatever they can not follow me. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't want to look at my stuff then just go do your own thing, scroll past me. Um, I think a lot of it too, is that people, sit there and they say you like the way you feel is your own mindset and I I understand what they're saying but like at the same time like let me have my shitty day let me like feel like my life is just kind of crap right now and that eventually I'll get through it but just you've got to deal with your emotions. Like there are so many people that are like, I don't want to cry. I'm like, just do it. Mm-hmm. Holding it in is so bad for you. It's mm-hmm. so bad for you mentally and emotionally and, and physically. I mean, it just kind of drains you. I cry all the time. I'm not even going to lie about it. 
Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think that tears are really healing in so many ways. And yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about mindset, but I just, yeah, I think in a situation like this, it's kind of um, rude <laughs> to say something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's important to honor your experience and yeah, not get lost in the, the black hole of it, but to stay in, in the hole for as long as you need to. Yeah. So, um, speaking of social media, you can share with our listeners, um, where people can find you. Oh yeah. On Instagram, Samantha E 18. I am so very open about Quinn. And Olivia, I do share more of Quinn just because of the stuff that she's been through. Um, I talk about G-tubes. I talk about the milestones that she's hitting and she's hitting them late. Um, I talk about my jerk dogs, (laughs) Um, which we have three. And then, yeah, find me on Facebook. I mean, Samantha Lyle on Facebook, but... Instagram is probably easier. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a little bit more active on Instagram, right? Yeah. Yeah. Facebook, I just kind of scroll and close. Yeah. Yeah. It's for old people now, like us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Well, thank you, Sam, so much for sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. And I think it will be really great for other people to hear. Thank you for asking me to do it. I'm more than happy and people want to talk to me and ask me questions. Go for it. Are you showing me? Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.